Well, good afternoon, Journey. So this is this is a little bit of a different uh, thing for me uh, today. So we had uh, we had some really uh, difficult technical difficulties on Sunday. I think we've got all those ironed out for us here at the Journey. Uh, but we didn't want you to miss uh, the first message in our new series on Help Me in My Unbelief. We just think it's that important, that significant uh, for you. Uh, and so uh, if you did miss the message Sunday, um, hopefully this will help, uh, help you grow spiritually, grow your affections uh, closer to Jesus Christ. And, and even if you did, uh, my wife always tells me, I never preached the same sermon the same way twice. Uh, so if you're listening to it, you're probably going to think this is a whole new uh, sermon other than the text. Uh, so anyway, so hope this helps you uh, this, this afternoon. And if you're able to stream this later, that would be great. Uh, so we're starting, uh, as I said, a new series. It's going to be four weeks. Uh, we're going to spend those in some different gospels and different books of the Bible. Uh, and then we're going to come into uh, what we call a Lent or the time of the Passion of Christ. And we'll be moving pretty quickly uh, towards Easter. Um, so today we're looking at, uh, at a situation with uh, someone that probably you would have never thought would have a crisis of belief or doubts in his life. So we're going to be looking at Matthew 11, 1 through 6. I pray if, if you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to open that or open your Bible app. We're going to be in Matthew just 11, verses 1 through 6 for this time. And so let me, let me share with you this kind of interesting situation uh, that John the Baptist finds himself in. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ. He sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So I want you to consider uh, this afternoon as we work ourselves through this question. I want you to consider, are you one of those? Are you a doubter? Well, I'll tell you what, if you've ever had doubts, then you're not alone. Everybody has doubts, even believers. In fact, many at one time would probably say, if you're a follower of Christ, you shouldn't have doubts. Now, I would tell you that probably then you may not be a true follower of Christ because every, every disciple, every person that, um, that has ever uh, moved on this earth has had um, uh, doubts at one time or another. And so when we think about that, I want you to think about what John the Baptist is asking. He said, are you the one who is to come or should we seek another? And then he says, uh, the response from Jesus is, go tell John what you hear and what you see. So I don't know if you've ever used these three words before. I doubt it. These three little words have become a hallmark of our age. We live in the age of skepticism. Everything that, that has become a question mark in our lives. So people today 
choose to believe in all kinds of things. We believe in all kinds of supernatural things, phenomenons, and we'll believe in almost anything else in our culture today other than the Bible. We'll believe in almost anything else other than believe that the Bible truly is the Word of God and truly is true because then we become very skeptical of it. It may be that doubt is the doorway to true faith. Think about that for a minute. Is doubt the doorway to true faith and belief for you? Think about the time you came to Christ for the first time. Did you have doubts? I did. Did you have things in your life that, that, that were not all figured out? I did. I want to give you a historical note about John the Baptist. Now, when all of this is happening, John was in trouble because he had publicly rebuked Herod Antipas, who was, who was uh, at that time ruler of Galilee, because he rebuked him, because this is what Herod did. Herod went to Rome, and while he was at Rome, he, he lured away and enticed his brother's wife to come and live with him, okay? And he brought his brother's wife back and, and then divorced his own wife and took her as his own. And John the Baptist saw the, the uh, fallacy in that. And he called him out on it. And so this is what happened. Now he is in prison. In fact, John the Baptist, the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, the voice of the one that said, this is the Messiah. He is the one that is going to wash away the sins of the world, is now asking, are you the one? Are you the Christ? Are you the son of the living God? In fact, it's said that he was put in Herod's prison, and it's a fortress east of the Dead Sea. And, and, and many believe this was one of Herod's um, prisons where prisoners were not treated very nicely. They, they were not treated well. In fact, the, the one that points to that literally says that during that time in that prison, there were probably many, many uh, harsh conditions and even torture going on all around John the Baptist, probably day and night. So I want you to think about something. As long as you have faith, you will always have doubts. So this afternoon, how many of you out there would believe that I have a $20 bill in my hand? Without a shadow of a doubt, would you believe that there's $20 here? Okay, I'm going now to blow up your faith, okay? So, so let me show you why. So if I took out the $20... and I showed you that I have $20 in my hands, is that truly faith? No, because you see. See, faith is always believing in things you can't see. That's what the faith that, that it has, has ground our, 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 our religion and our belief in a holy God is that we can't see Him. And that's why Hebrews 11.1 1 says faith is the substance of things hoped for and yet the presence of things not yet seen. And so Jesus says to, to John, he says, go tell him what you see with your eyes and what you hear, okay? So first off, this is the word of God. This is what we hear, right? This is God-breathed, okay? If we look at, 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 at 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17, all scripture is breathed out by God and is useful for teaching, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, lacking nothing. This completes our hearing, okay? And then he said, go, go show and tell him what you see. You see the blind receive their sight, the lame are walking, all these great things are taking place. 
When is your faith the strongest? I would venture to say most of us say when we see what God is doing, when we see something for ourselves. Let me give you a big idea this, this afternoon. Doubt is the birth pains of true faith. Doubt is the birth pains of our true faith. And it's all right, and this would be number one in our outline this afternoon, it's all right to come to Jesus with honest questions. It's okay to come to him with honest questions. Why? Because doubt is defined as a feeling of uncertainty or, or, or maybe even a lack of conviction at times. And we ask questions like, how do I know God exists? How can I be sure Jesus is the only way to heaven? How can God be good when there is suffering in the world? If God is my heavenly father, why did I lose my job? Not only was John the Baptist demoralized, but he was compared later. And if you look on down in the text in verse 11, he says, Jesus says this about John. He says, truly I say to you, among those born of women, there is arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent have taken by force. For all the prophets of the law are prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. So he even puts John the Baptist above Elijah. You remember Elijah, right? The one that, that battled with the prophets of Baal and called down fire from heaven? That Elijah? The one that went up in, in, in the wheel, went up and, and saw God in the chariot? And so to understand, Jesus does not rebuke John. Some people say that we should never have faith. I would say that you're not truly a follower if you've never struggled with your faith. But they are wrong. Jesus never gives a rebuke to someone who comes in earnest, desiring to know him. Listen to what C.S. Lewis says. He says, you have to show people that it takes faith to doubt Christianity. John is the man who says, behold, the Lamb of God. He is the one who claims, I'm not even, un even worthy to untie Jesus' sandals. Even the disciples did not fully believe the resurrection happened, remember, until Jesus appeared in the room. We're going to talk in a few weeks about doubting Thomas, but, you know, a lot of times he gets a bad rap because the rest of the disciples really didn't believe the resurrection until they saw him with their own eyes. There are basically three kinds of doubt in the world today. The first, and sometimes each of us maybe mix some of these together. The first one, sometimes our doubt is intellectual. What is that? Well, John may need just kind of to get his brain wrapped around this and just reassurance of who Jesus is. Our minds are unsure of whether the teaching of Christianity are true. We're questioning God's creation, trying to line it up with proof. The second type is sometimes our doubt is emotional. And, and I bet at this point in John's life, he's very emotional. He's, maybe he's saying, I was the forerunner of Christ. I did everything you called me to do. But, but now is the time. Because you remember, everybody during that time, they were looking for Messiah, but they were looking for a political leader who would overthrow the Roman government, who would free them from their bonds. And, and so I'm sure he's sitting in prison. We don't know how long he's been there. And he's brought to the point of asking 
are you the one? What's taking place? Jesus, why am I still sitting in this prison cell? Maybe our suffering causes us to wonder if God really is there, if he really even cares about us at all. Maybe losing our job or our marriage causes us to doubt sometimes. Have you ever been there? Sometimes our doubt is moral. This is typically when we disbelieve, okay, what, what the Bible teaches, or we disbelieve what Jesus says in order for us to have a license to continue to sin. Maybe we're doing something wrong, and we don't want to know the truth, and we don't want to hear the truth. See, Jesus is not afraid of honest doubters. So if you're out there this afternoon, and you have ever doubted, Jesus doesn't turn you away in your doubt. He describes John as the greatest man ever. Notice, John does not say, are you the one, or do we give up? No. He says, are you the one? And if you're not, if you're just a, another prophet, we will look for the Messiah. He's not going to give up. The comforting reality is that in questioning our beliefs about religion, God is commonplace for most American adults who self-identify as Christians or have in the past. Just over one quarter, 26%, say they still experience doubts. While 4 in 10, 40%, say they experienced it in the past but have worked through it. Only about one-third, 35%, claim to have ever never experienced it at all. And even devout groups like practicing Christians and pastors say 19% still experience doubts in their life. See, you are not alone. Number two, it's important to ask the right questions. Did you know there is a right question to ask when it comes to, to following up this? Scripture teaches us how to ask the right questions. When the Son of God walked on the earth, people came to him with their dilemmas all the time, doubts and questions. And he had all the answers available to him to give to them. And yet, he met their question many times. You remember, Jesus is really good about answering a question with a question, right? Have you ever done that game with your kids? Man, I, I love to do that. When my kids ask me a question, I ask them one back. It, it, it's frustrating. It irritates them. I bet the disciples got frustrated at times when, when Jesus would just answer their question with a question. There's one experience in Luke 10, 25 through 26. An expert in the law stood up to test Jesus' teacher, he asked. What must we do to inherit eternal life? Jesus didn't give the answer. Instead, he asked a question in return. What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? In Matthew 18, 12, Jesus asked, what do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 and go look for the one, and one who wandered off? He's asking a question. See, the heart of the parable is, is nothing but two questions. And he responds not to the question, but to the person behind the question. And this is the deal. Check this out. He wants to get to your heart. The heart. In the natural world, the strong eat the weak, says Tim Keller. And there's nothing wrong with violence. Where do you get the standard that says the human world shouldn't work that way? That says the natural world is wrong. Or you can only judge suffering as wrong if you're using a standard higher than this world, a supernatural standard. And if there is no God, you have no reason to be upset at the suffering in the world. 
And he, said, and he goes on to say, it takes faith to get mad at the world. It takes faith to get mad in your unbelief. See, doubt is a part of our day-to-day life. It's neither good nor bad. It's our response to uncertainty. How many of you, as, as soon as this morning, felt some kind of uncertainty in your life? Yeah, me too. How many of you at certain times during your week may feel this uncertainty in your life? Yeah, me too. But what about concerns of our faith and our relationship with God? See, God tells John what you have seen and heard. If we look in in Mark 9, Jesus processes this in three different kinds of unbelief. I want to share these with you. He processes unbelief in Mark 9. The first one is with the scribes. They wanted to get their argument in. Now, this is the, they many times were asking the wrong question. Why? Because their heart was hard. They were honestly seeking him. Have you ever had someone who just wants to argue with you? They just want to argue the point? Yeah. That's, it's not an earnest seeking. And, and so they're condescending, self-righteous questions. They want to be the prosecutor and put Jesus on trial. The second kind is the disciples. They had more of a forgetful unbelief. And I think this is where we fall many times, right? It's not that we don't believe. It's not that we don't have faith. We just kind of forget what he's done. Remember, sometimes go read all of Hebrews 11 because what, what the writer of Hebrews does is he goes and recounts all the things God has done for you through all of history from Abraham to Moses to all of the great people in the line, even to Rahab. And the writer lists all these things God has done to bring salvation to you. Sometimes we're just forgetful in our unbelief. In fact, John Calvin paraphrases Christ's response to his disciples' inability. He says, you seem as if you were engaged in a mock battle, got up for amusement, but you have to deal with a powerful adversary who will not yield to the battle has been fought out. This might sound familiar to you. Only one person in the story admits true struggle with his doubt, and this is a man whose son has a demon in him. And he says this, he admits that life's struggle shakes his faith. Rather, Mark holds up this father as a model of sincere struggling because he asked Jesus sincerely, Help me in my unbelief. The father sincerely wanted to believe that Christ could help his son. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been asking to come. And he even says, I believe, Jesus, that you can do this, but help me where my heart fails. John is not asking about trivial things. He has gone to the very heart of the matter, right? It is a big deal to know that he is the son of God. The question of the identity of Jesus is extremely crucial in the Christian faith. Remember, Jesus is standing before Pilate in trial before him. Pilate asked him of a very pointed question. I don't know if he really wanted to answer, but he said, are, are, what is the truth? And he even asked him, are you the Messiah? See, this is the question that we all should ask before coming to Christ. See, be honest about your doubts. There's a man at the pool of Bethesda. Uh, it's by the Sheep Gate. Sheep Gate would have been a gate where people would come in and out all day long into the city. And at this pool, it was thought at a certain time of the day that, that an angel from heaven 
would come down and would stir the water, and the first person to reach that water would be healed. And so the, the blind and the lame and, and, and the deaf and the invalid all came and gathered around this bar. And imagine hundreds of, of sick and hurting people at that pool that day. And there was one invalid man. Jesus just happened to come to that pool on that certain day. And he came to that man on the mat. Not anybody else, but that one man. And he asked him a question. And this is a, a very simple question that he asked. He says, do you want to be healed? Or, or literally, do you want to be made well? And the man looks up at Jesus, and I think this was in his doubt and maybe even disbelief, but he's been there for 38 years. He's been in this state and probably come there day after day after day. He didn't even have a friend in the world because this is his reasoning. He says, I can't get to the pool. I have no one to take me there. What kind of question is that? And then Jesus looks at the man and says, hey, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. You're healed. See, I think sometimes in the middle of our doubts, it's crucial to take your question to the right source. Are we taking our question to Jesus? Remember in, in the Justice League that Batman assembles this whole team together and, and, and an ancient entity, Steppenwolf, is trying to lead the hunt for a powerful weapon that will destroy all of humanity. And so they're in this battle... And, and these heroes are fighting back and forth. But there's one unlikely hero that, that was brought in, uh, and it's a, a boy, a young man by the name of Barry Allen, the Flash you may know him as. And so he's there, and he's kind of cowering back because all the superheroes are doing their thing. And, and Batman comes to him, and he gives this excuse for not getting in the fight. He says, here's the thing. I'm afraid of bugs and guns and obnoxious people. I can't be here. It's really cool. You guys seem to be ready to battle this stuff. But I've never done that. I've just pushed people and run away because I'm really fast. Batman brings clarity to his fear with simple words. He says this, save one. Flash says, what? Save one person. Which one? Don't talk. Don't fight. Get in. Get out. Flash, and then? Batman says, you'll know. See, big tasks are commonly accompanied by big doubts. But we need God's power in our weakness. And this is what happened with this invalid that was at the pool that day. Jesus asked him a question. Do you want to be made well? There's also a parable familiar in Luke chapter 6 of building a house. Two men were building. One built his on a, on a firm foundation. The other one built it on shaky ground. He tried to throw it together on the sands just really quick, right? So he could get in like Sunday and watch the football. He didn't want to put a lot of effort into it. You know, when we live down on the coast, we have this stuff called black gumbo, and it moves back and forth. And so you have to drill deep down into the earth and put these pillars in so your house is held steady and firm. Well, the house that that uh, we were in, I don't think they did that because it wasn't long after we lived there. You begin to see the cracks in the wall. In fact, I could put a marble on one end of our, of, our, of our kitchen and it would literally roll to the back of the house because they didn't have a firm foundation. But you know how the story goes? Storms came, storm began to beat against the house. And the true story is what they invested their time in, all their work, all their efforts, 
Did they do it living out the kingdom of God, basing it on a solid foundation, the thing that truly has the answers in the storms of our life? No. The man who's over here who just just has a casual knowledge of the Word of God and just kind of knows a little bit about Jesus because he's been in church all of his life, he's setting on sandy ground. And so when those storms come, it tears him apart. If you have a question, where do you go? You go to the expert. In fact, Nicodemus knew this. He was in the Sanhedrin. He was, he was a learned man. He was one of the ones that was in that group that, that was wanting Jesus' death. But he recognizes something is different about Jesus. He knows he has the answer. And so he comes to him and asks a simple question. How can a man be born again when he's old? Jesus doesn't turn away the honest question. He didn't turn Nicodemus away. See, doubts can lead us to the right answer. Whatever doubts John may have had about Jesus, he still believed Jesus would give him the right and honest answer for his life. Ask for help. When this father cried out, I believe, but help me in my own belief, he was specific. I, I would encourage you this morning, you need to be specific about your fears. It, if maybe it's a situation in your job, go to him. Maybe you're struggling with, with a porn addiction. Go to him. Maybe you're struggling with a, a, a relationship in your marriage. Go to him. Be specific. See, there are answers to your questions. And this is number four. There are answers for the person who comes in the right heart and spirit. See, doubts often start small. Is there any point in praying? Maybe one we've asked. Yet one quickly leads to another. Does God hear me? Does God care? And finally, is God even there at all? You might not get your answer in a mathematical formula or a microscope or in some big cosmic ball that comes down and just lands in your lap. The first Peter 3.15 says, being prepared to make a defense for a reasonable hope that is inside of us. Now, many times we misunderstand that because in that text, in fact, all of 1 Peter is talking about suffering, being prepared to make a defense when you are in your struggle in the midst of your suffering. Help me in my unbelief. See, Jesus always keeps it simple, stupid. He just keeps it simple. Jesus doesn't debate the questioner. He gives them a simple response. Tell John what you've seen and heard. Only Jesus would dare to make such a reply. I want to give you five things I believe we need to remember when doubts come. The first one is every unbeliever has a faith. Everyone, even the most hardened atheist, has some kind of faith or belief in something. They will rely on, on principles and foundations that, that they cannot prove. So all of them have faith in something, but without Christ, they have no true, okay? They have no true and loving foundation for their life. They don't have a saving faith. If you think you're having a crisis of faith, you can be sure it's nothing compared to the crisis of faith that an atheist has. Every believer has doubts. Doubts are a part of being human. We may doubt our marriage, our job, our purpose, our family, it would be odd if I didn't doubt God at certain times in my life. But even Jesus' closest followers had doubts. Remember Peter. 
He told him, get behind me, Satan. And Peter, even so impetuous in the garden, that he takes the sword and slices off the, the, the soldier's ear. Even at that point, that they had doubts. See, a doubtless Christian is as impossible as a sinless Christian. In fact, in fact sin springs us from unbelief when we understand our sin to belief. See, it's not much of a stretch to rephrase uh, 1 John 1, 9 this way. If we say we have no doubts, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our doubts, God is faithful. And He is just. He will forgive you. He'll forgive me all of my doubts. And He's going to purify you from your unbelief. See, sin is born out of doubts. And it happened in the Garden of Eden. Was that not the first sin? Satan came into the garden and he got man and woman to disbelieve that God first would do what he said he was going to do and that they were not to do what he commanded them not to do. See, faith isn't feelings. This is number three. Feelings can betray you. They can actually kill your faith. Feelings go up and down as much as high blood pressure in the stock market. Right? So you can't base faith on your feelings. Feelings run crazy. Faith isn't fantasy. We don't believe Jesus in spite of evidence. We believe him because we have been persuaded. Remember, I showed you the $20 bill a minute ago, and as long as my hand was covered, you said I have faith to believe that it's really there. Faith isn't blind faith. This is a big misconception in the world today. We don't step blindly into Jesus. We serve a sovereign God who holds all things together. Romans 8, 28, for all things work together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose and His plan because He holds all things. Ephesians 1, 11, for those He predestined, He's also called because God has you. It's not a fantasy. Faith isn't the point. Faith isn't a thing we muster up and push down. Faith is simply resting in Jesus. So instead of worrying about our faith, maybe we just need more Jesus. Since faith is embracing Jesus in times of doubt, I don't need more faith. I just need more Jesus. We focus on Him, on Jesus, rather than what faith lacks in my life. Doubts reduce. As you grow in Christ, I'll tell you something. You're going to begin, the, not, not that you don't have moments of uneasiness and, and, and maybe difficulty believing things, but your faith will be increased. And, and the more we pray, Lord, help me with my unbelief. Grow my faith. Is that a prayer you pray? It might just be that the path of doubt was God's way of bringing you into a deeper, richer knowledge and relationship with himself. We are born questioners. I, I wish I had the picture up here I showed Sunday of my, uh, my granddaughter, Evelyn. I love watching her because she's so curious. The child's great world begins with, I think, many children, their first word is why, right? Every child is full of every kind of question about every kind of thing that moves and shines and changes in the world. That's just how we're, we're made, folks. That's how we're made. But this is the deal. 
It is a part of man as God made him. But doubt is the prelude to knowledge. The more you dive into this word, the more you put faith to the test, right? The more you trust him. See, is our God so puny that he trembles at our questions? No. Is faith so feeble that it falters before our question mark? Will our Christianity crumble into pieces because we have a few questions and we come to him in true, genuine faith? I would tell you this afternoon, no. Because faith is the bedrock of what we believe, right? We trust him, we believe in faith. But this is the thing. Our faith and our trust in him is a reasonable faith, okay? There's a difference between a reasonable faith and an absurd faith, right? That, that, that uh, the Pharisees many times were trying to trip the people up and tried to trip Jesus up with, right? So the faith we have is like the man whose son is in desperate need of healing. And he said, I believe you can do it, Jesus. Help me where my heart fails. Maybe that needs to be your prayer today. Maybe as you wake up tomorrow for a new day, the first prayer you have is, Lord, help me where my faith fails. Increase my faith today in you. And he will take you, and like it says in Philippians 1.6, he will continue to work that faith out until it is perfected in the kingdom of God. And we see him face to face. Let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you that you give us faith that passes anything this world can understand or imagine when they look at, 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 at true faith. And Father, there's not a one of us out there that have not had doubts, and that doubt has not led to crisis of faith at times in our life. If, if Jesus, you really are who you say you are, you've really done what you said you were going to do, and if you truly can take our lives and make them new. But Father, every time our faith is increased when you come through and we see you lived out. But Father, even if we don't, even in the difficult times and the times when, when uh, suffering continues, Father, I pray our faith would be strengthened on that strong foundation like the man who built his house on solid rock, that we would find that our faith is built on you. And we will live that out every day of our life until we stand face to face with you in your kingdom forever and ever. In your name we pray. Amen. God bless.